The magic is here. Oh, man, peeps. Welcome to another podcast. It's been forever since I last talked to you, but we're doing it this week. And of course, let's bring in the bass. Here it goes. There's that kick drum. Holy moly. Where have you been, Kenny Molotov? What's been happening? How are you guys, peeps? How you doing? How you holding up? Is your summer uh, looking like fun? I just got back from doing a little bit of yard work. I uh, mowed the lawn today. Thank you. Thank you. No, uh, no, no standing ovation. Thank you. But peeps, my name is Kenny Molotov. I'm a plumbing YouTuber, magician. I do a little bit of music. Look down in the description below. You'll be able to find everything that I do there. Check it out if you get a chance. This is Chronicles of a Plumber. This is my weekly plumbing podcast. Now, don't jump on me, peeps. I know it's been a while since I've uploaded, and you're absolutely right. I've been away for a significant amount of time, but I just want you to guys know I'm trying to bring it back. I'm trying to get consistent and all that. I'm going to tell you why I've been out of the loop, but let's just jump in and do a little bit of housekeeping right here. Anchor.fm forward slash Kenny hyphen Molotov. If you go there, you can check me out. That is the uh, app that I use to distribute this podcast onto a bunch of different podcasting platforms, which include Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Overcast, Radio Public, and Stitcher. You can find me on all of those apps right down there. You could download this or you could watch this on YouTube at Chronicles of a Plumber. Whichever way you want to do it, you guys go ahead and do it. Jump into the channel of Kenny Molotov. Uh, We are sitting at 2,646 subscribers, almost at the 3,000 mark, aiming for that 5,000 mark. That would be so cool, right? And then the 10,000 mark. Oh, how fun would that be? Um, But it's been a while since I've uploaded. I uploaded the last video, eight weeks of advanced plumbing school number six, about three weeks ago. And I'm going to tell you all why. Oh, by the way, I'm also repping a Ven plumbing hat right now. Shout out to the Vens like I do in a lot of the podcasts and videos. Um, Let's jump into the Chronicles of a Plumber. 31 subs. Last time I uploaded was about one month ago, so it's been a little while since I've done this. So uh, it's good to be back. Let me tell you guys, just the fact that I have time to do this is really important to me because I really want to come back and and get this thing full throttle. Um, Let's talk about a few things that have been going on with me. Then we'll jump into the plumbing uh, conversations of the week, basically the different jobs that I did, and I'll show you all on Instagram. By the way, if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's Molotov underscore plumbing. That's where you can find me, and you can see the things that I do on a weekly and daily basis, and then every podcast I tend to sit down and just talk about it. So, The reason why I've been away for such a long time is because I've been studying to get certified, in other words, licensed as a licensed plumber, okay? So what that means is I just finished my advanced plumbing in school. Now it's all about me finally getting, sitting down, studying, and writing the national exam. Plumbing is a red seal trade, which means that if I get licensed in any of the provinces, I'm licensed for the entire nation. So at the end, you got to take this national exam. We call it the Certificate of Qualification, C of Q for short. And that's what I've been prepping for. And I got to be honest, guys, I already wrote it once. Yeah, 
I know that's bad news. I already wrote it and I didn't pass it. I hit a 60%. I'm supposed to be hitting a 70%. I have it all documented and I'm still documenting the entire process because I'm sure that people in Ontario and around the nation of Canada are trying to get licensed. They might have the same experience or different experiences than me, uh, but I just want to show you the journey that I'm taking. It's been rough. Let me tell you, it is a very difficult exam, and it's difficult for one specific reason, which is in Ontario, plumbing and heating are separate trades. I know even in the states, there are a lot of states that have them as one. It's one entire trade. Same thing with here in Canada. There are certain provinces that have them as one one trade altogether, heating and plumbing. I talked to a plumber from Alberta. And he was telling me that they're both one and the same, but he has a six-year apprenticeship rather than a five-year apprenticeship like it is for me. So what ends up happening is, is that on the national exam, because it's combined for a lot of the provinces, you will have heating-specific questions on it. And I don't mean just generalized heating questions about what systems are like. I mean very specific ones about how to do certain uh, installations or how to do certain repairs on heating systems, which is something that I've never done before. I've never put my hands on a heating system. Actually, I, that's a lie. I only once changed a uh, recirculation pump, but I changed the impeller was it the bearing assembly? I changed the bearing assembly on a recirculation pump. That was the only thing I've ever done. I had a lot of fun doing it, and I have a lot of fun learning about heating, but I don't know much about heating. So when they ask you very specific questions, you know, and you blank, it's a really big deal. As soon as I wrote the test, and as I was getting to these other sections that weren't specifically plumbing, I came to realize that I had a few weaknesses and I got I just got to be further honest with you all um I was devastated when I when I didn't pass devastated I was not doing well guys I was I was really really upset um you know and when you're trying to do something that's really important to you and you don't do well at it you don't succeed at it Man, those inner demons come out. You start questioning everything, whether you should be on this path, whether you deserve to be on this path, whether you should keep going on this path. You start questioning your entire life. That's what ended up happening to me as well. And it was a couple of days before I kicked myself in the butt and said, hey, this is a learning experience. Shut up document so that other people can learn from your experience as well okay and that's exactly the game plan right now and today i already have my next exam booked i'm gonna tell dates i don't want to jinx anything i'm gonna tell dates but i already have it booked and today was the first day that i sat down and i i'm only working on currently uh, the th the sections that I did poorly on. So don't worry, peeps. I'm going to bring out an entire video just on the CFQ and my process of passing it. Fingers crossed with passing it. Knock on wood. You know, I don't want to jinx anything. Um, so I'm going to document all of it. You're going to see everything. So if I'm not fully detailed right now, you're going to get the details, I promise you. So don't you worry about that. But today I'm focusing on heating. I also have to focus on steam and I also have to focus on um, medical gas is another one that's part of the plumbing, national plumbing code. I should say national exam or CFQ. 
There's a lot of different subsections. So the good thing about uh, the Ontario College of Trades, which is the body that looks over this, the certificate of qualification and your apprenticeship here in Ontario, the good thing about it is that when they hand you back your marks, they give you a detailed breakdown of what you did well on, what you didn't do well on. So they'll tell you what sections, what you got on each section. And in the heating section, I got four out of 12, <laughs> 33%, you know what I'm saying? So it really, and also all the specialized uh, sections, which were two or three. So that, that told me right off the bat, okay, the stuff that I've been practicing the past five years, I, I have pretty down well. Doesn't mean I don't have room for improvement, but I have them down pretty good. It's the other things I need to work on. So that's the game plan thus far. I am going to be focusing mainly on those and then continuing to sharpen what I had with the previous. So like all the plumbing stuff going into the CFQ. And fingers crossed that uh, it'll be enough to do it on my second round. I know some guys and some ladies, they, it takes them two or three, four rounds to, to go. We'll see how many it takes me. Hopefully not too many, but you got to do what you got to do. Don't stop. You know what I mean? Just stay in your lane and keep going. That's the game plan thus far. And that's why Kenny Molotov hasn't been uh, doing a lot. So I have literally put everything aside. All of YouTube, including my main channel, uh, not even the and Chronicles of a Plumber, this uh, this uh, plumbing podcast. I put everything aside. I haven't touched anything for three weeks. I have a video coming out tomorrow, which is May twelfth on Sunday, which is the seventh vlog in the Advanced Plumbing School series. And that's it, peeps. And I got another video coming out the following week. I hope, following week. I hope. That's it. That's all you can hope for and wish for. I'll continue to try to get these videos out, but you know, the the real difficulty at the end of the day with being a plumbing YouTuber is that you literally are a plumber first. And uh, because of that, I, I have to hit my eight hour mark of the day. Sometimes work, especially as a service plumber, goes way longer than eight hours depending on what happens if you get an emergency call late at night. And then it takes away from your time at night to do YouTube and whatnot. So that's that's always been the big uh, balancing act with this thing. I absolutely love it. It's not a complaint, but it definitely does get in the way of doing the YouTube and vice versa. You know what I'm saying? So it's really, 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 uh, I'm just happy to be back. That's all I'm trying to say. So what I really want to do is pop into the Instagram to show you all what I've been doing in the past few weeks while I've been studying and then uh, I think that's it. I think that's what we're going to call a podcast for today. So let's jump a few weeks ago. In the last podcast that I did, I think I only spoke about backflow prevention. And I even have the cue cards here still. This week, I'm just going to go through everything that I've done after that point so you can see what's been going on since I got back from work. Uh, I'm going to probably fast forward through a few things here so that we can talk about the last week, uh, literally the as of Friday yesterday, um, because it's been a couple of interesting stories. But let's first start off with this job right here. As soon as I got back from plumbing school, advanced plumbing school, this is the job that I was thrust into and it was a hell of a time. I had a great time. And actually the vlog that comes out tomorrow, which is advanced plumbing school number seven, I show the, uh, the finishing stage of this job right here, what you're seeing right here in these pictures, basically. So what you're seeing right here is going to be four wall hung urinals excuse me, vanities, we have urinals on the other side. So 
These are the brackets that are provided with these wall-hung vanities that you first have to line up correctly. You got to find the height that you want. Normally, for us, it's between 33 inches and 34 inches high, and we're talking about the uppermost part of the lip of the vanity is at that height. And uh, then you got to mark it correctly. You got to find out what the... Uh, what the height distance is so you actually have to take the manual and it'll tell you according to the name of the vanity according to the model of the vanity how many inches under or above that you have to actually um, rough this in at because when you put the vanity down um, there will be a leveling it, it basically won't be the same height as your bracket the vanity goes on top of the bracket and thus will be a little bit higher than the bracket. So it, it tells you at what height the bracket has to be, and then you got to do them all one shot. So one thing that I find really interesting about doing commercial work is that it really provides the opportunity to get faster and faster as you go along. And the reason why that is is because I have found personally if you're doing work and you're doing multiple vanities that, that are the exact same or multiple urinals that are the exact same, the best way to do it and the fastest way to do it is actually to create almost like a factory line. And what that means is, is that if you're doing vanities, you're just going to do vanities. So for this, I had four vanities that I had to prep in order to put on these mounts. So the first thing that I do is I get all the tools for installing the faucet, all the tools for installing the PO plug, which includes your tape, your dope, uh, your pipe wrench or your um, pliers, um, etc. whatever you need for that. Plumber's putty as well. So what you do is you take the four vanities, you line them up, you take out all four PO plugs, and you do the same thing for each of them. You put the plumber's putty on them all at the same time. And then afterwards, you, uh, you take the tailpiece and you put tape around them all at the same time. You're doing all four of them one shot. And the reason why you're doing that is because you're going to have to do it anyways. It's going to happen within a few steps anyways. You might as well do it since the plumber's putty is already in your hand. Do all four at the same time. There's no point. I used to do it where I'd do a full assembly of one vanity. Then I'd put it on with the mount. I'd do the mount. Then I'd put it on with the mount. And then, you know, I'd finish it. Then I'd go and do the second vanity. But what I noticed is, is when I went to the mount and I had to now do the mount, it's a brand new set of tools I had to get out. Uh, so now I had to problem solve for putting the mount down. I do the mount and then I go get the vending. I put it on and then I assemble the trap, which is a brand new set of tools again. And you lose time every single time you got to switch tools, in other words. You lose a lot of time because every single time you got to now remind yourself how to problem solve in a specific sense. So you're problem solving by putting the vanity together, then you're problem solving for putting the mount together, then you're problem solving for doing the drain. Instead, when you're doing all the vanities, do them all one time. You already did the first one. It's just going to get faster with the second, and then with the third, and then with the fourth. Do them like an assembly line in a factory. That's the fastest that I've ever been able to move. And what's wonderful with this is that it's a perfect setup for that. 
I had all va four vanities there. What I did was I took out all four mounts. I handed them to dad. Dad did all four mounts at the same time. He was just marking centers, marking heights. And as soon as you do the one height on the first one, you know how high the second one's going to go. You don't have to go back to figure out how high you want your vanity. You already know. And you want them all at the same height. So it just works out that way. He has his hammer drill to drill through these tiles, etc. As he's doing that, I'm assembling all four vanities. By the time he's done the mounts, I'm done maybe one or two vanities. He throws them on. I finish the other two. We throw the other two on, and we're good to go. You see what I'm saying? It's a very fast process when you work as an assembly line. Now, when you're doing... Uh, when you're doing hoof, hoof, I'm going a million miles an hour. When you're doing uh, service work, it's not really the type of work that typically allows you to do that. Because in service work, you are literally troubleshooting things. You are going there, you're figuring out what's the problem, and you have one vanity, and you see a leak. Okay, so you have to figure out, is the leak from the PO plug? Is it from the overflow? Is it coming from the faucet itself? Who knows sort of thing. And you're working on just one vanity. But this is why I like commercial work because it has the tendency to do a brand new thing for you which is create this assembly line and get to the butt kicking now if you look in this picture you're going to see two copper tubings on the two innermost vanities four vanities there the two innermost ones have copper tubing there the question is why if you've done this before you know why and those are two primers we have they are two floor drain primers. Inside this uh, washroom, we have two floor drains, one on this section right here and one on the other section on the other side of this wall because there's a bunch of vanities or urinals there because, God forbid, if one of those ur urinals continues discharging and doesn't stop discharging, every once in a while a bladder uh, in a flush valve will, will go awry and it'll continue discharging, it's going to be all over the floor. And that's why you have the floor drain there. Also, if you have a janitor mopping up, you want them to have a floor drain so that they can push the water in, whatever. You know what I'm saying? So so there was a difference between doing the outermost vanities and the innermost vanities because with the innermost vanities, you had to also have a primer connection on the faucets that you are providing. Now, we got the same faucets for all four. They are laundry tub faucets. But laundry tub faucets come with the vanity um, primer connection. I just want to show you really quickly. This next picture right here is what I'm talking about in regards to an assembly line. These are the four vanities. I already have all four prepared, which means that all four faucets are on. Two of those faucets have the primer connection red, open and ready. And all four PO plugs are in it. And all four... Uh, what are they called? Supply lines are on the faucets ready to go. So I literally, all I have to do is place them on top of the mounts, uh, make sure that they're level, connect the faucets, and then connect the primers, etc. Okay? So that's what it looks like when we're ready to go. Now, this is the rest of them all put together. Now, the only difference is, like I was telling you, is that the two innermost ones are the ones that uh, have the primer connection. And I don't think I have a picture of what's happening underneath them, but this is essentially what it'll look like at the end. These are the four faucets and the four vanities done one time. All right, let's keep moving. I got some love by Matthew Burlock. And I think this is the last vlog that I had placed on the channel, or it might've been six. Let's take a look.
So that was week five, not week six. I didn't actually put a teaser up for week six, even though I actually have a teaser for week six. Um, you know, it got so hectic with the studying that I eventually said to myself, okay, let's just, uh, let's just forget everything. You know how it is. You know how it is. So anyways, that was week five. In that video you were just watching, we were doing a restaurant, another commercial job. <clears throat> it was the first time that we did a grease interceptor below grade which was pretty darn cool i gotta be honest so let's keep moving on um in this one we did a couple of uh remodeling kits in these past couple of weeks uh this is one right here and i'll show you so you take out the old shower control valve i think i've shown you plenty of these and then you get a template and you have to draw this template out just like so and then you got to take your roto zip and your roto zip is you're going to take the roto zip and you're going to cut out that exact same template water off obviously right and once you're done with that template you now have to remove the old shower control valve and then replace it with a new one this was a mowing a remodeling plate and the final result looks like this pretty fancy stuff right and the beautiful part about this washroom right here is that this tile the roto zip goes through this tile like a dream i'm going to show you one in a couple of pictures that was an absolute nightmare so this one was a lot of fun uh this was entirely abs work this was a kitchen sink let me show you what's going on here. The real big difficulty that we ran in with this one was if you look at the two supply pipes, you have hot and cold there, and in the center you have uh, your drain that your kitchen sink's going to drain into. And the other thing you're going to notice is, is that this the trap of this drain is underneath the floor. So the difficulty that we ran into is if you look at the cold water pipe on the right here, it's so bloody tiny that it's hard to actually solder... Um, solder a coupling to it so it took a little bit of lifting that pipe up getting a vice grip and holding it in in a place where it's easier to actually solder but you know we managed it um here's the first thing that we did first thing that you have to do is hot and cold you also have to put down these two finishing plates right here so that they don't see the hole underneath uh, i shine these up real nice for this picture as you can see put two r14 valves right there and we also put a valve across for the dishwasher connection on the hot water pipe okay now the other thing you're going to notice is that we have two different tail pieces I don't know what happened with one of the tail pieces, but it disappeared. It was not on the job site anymore. So because it wasn't on the job site anymore, I had to go to one of the basket strainers that we had in the truck that we typically supply and get one of those tail pieces right there. Not a big deal because you're going to see the drain in a second actually covers the majority of the tail piece. So nobody will notice that they're two separate ones. So what you have right here <clears throat> are two different tail pieces, but as you move forward, now we have the drain. This is the full connection of the drain. So you have on the left hand side you have a um, trap adapter which comes down into a ty and on the right hand side you have your continuous waste coming across and now it picks up the drainage for your dishwasher right over here here's a y with a i don't even know what they're called i think they're a dishwasher nipple dishwasher nipple it's a threaded nipple and then you put the drain to the dishwasher in there it flows into the TY right here, flows down, and then we opted to put in a clean-out right here. And this was a really important moment because I had called Dad and I said, you know, there is no way to A, 
remove this without cutting it because the trap's underneath the floor and B, to clean it. So as soon as we started talking about that, we were like, you know what? Okay, let's put the clean out here so that we are able to snake this drain and, and uh, get into the trap and get out if we needed to, in other words. However, you might run into an issue somewhere here in the continuous waste and the TY right here, in which case you're still going to have to cut it and figure out a way to clean it. So that's one of the difficult measures of having a trap underneath the floor. It makes it a little bit difficult to do some cleaning, but this this um, this cleanout right here, this line cleanout was crucial for, for at least getting into the trap and further into the drain. Normally, I think it is code to actually have a clean out after the, yeah, I think it's after the trap. If you have a clean out after the trap, I think that's by code on a kitchen sink because that way you can snake. That way you can run water while you're snaking it, which is always the, the optimal option when you're doing some snaking. And the last picture is, it's a video of this faucet. This faucet was like a $500 faucet, very, very fancy stuff. Continue on. Oh, man, guys, th these tiles were ridiculous. We tried roto-zipping these bad boys, and Dad got this fat, fat bit for this roto-zip that could probably go through. Oh, man, but it was not going through these tiles, let me tell you. So uh, you're going to see right now, it's the same process. you got to take the template. you got to put it around the old shower control valve, water off, and then you got to start cutting. Now... If you look at all this flimsy work in the center, this was all the roto zip. And then if you look at these straight, beautiful lines, these were a grinder. Yes, my friends, my dad eventually said, what the hell? Give me the grinder. I'll get this done. And it worked only because it was straight lines, right? The two, the two wings of this template are basically straight lines. So it worked out. But still, man, this... Oh, I think Dad did do some... Yeah, he angle-grinded the center of this as well. As you can see, there are straight lines. It's a weird, funky thing. It, it wasn't an easy tie to get through, man. The Rotozip was struggling so hard. We went through a couple of bits as well. We probably spent, honestly, a total of a half an hour Rotozipping this stupid thing. It was a disaster. Anyways, I'm glad we got through it with the angle-grinder. Not angle-grinder. Yeah, the angle-grinder. And then it's the same process. You got to take the old shower control valve. You got to cut it off or sweat it off. And then you got to put in the new one. And as you see right here, the big difference between the last one and this one, this one was originally designed with two air shocks. Now, I don't know if you've ever done air shocks, but the way they work is that instead of putting two 90s down into your hot and cold pipe, you're going to put a T. And the top portion of this T is going to extend up into two pipes with caps on it. They are literally there just to have some air inside so that if there is any type of, um, uh, whatchamacallit, man? It's called, uh, when you, when you turn the water off very quickly, it's called, man, it's called water hammer. I don't know what's wrong with me. So if you have any water hammer, this stuff will actually absorb the the hammer and will actually arrest it a little bit faster. You could also get water hammer arresters, which is another thing. And then your final thing looks like this. We also had to get 
the customer on one of these shower heads because we did the same thing in the other shower that uh, she had had and she loved it. She's like, I want the same one. So we ended up getting that as well for her. And that's the finished product right there. So let's move forward. We here have an ovation sink. You don't get a lot of these. Uh, at least we don't get a lot of these, but I've done a few in my career thus far. Um, ovation sinks are really simple, actually, but the hardest part about ovation sinks is getting that stupid rubber around the damn bowl because you're doing one side and then the other side falls off. If you've ever done one, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That is the only part of this sink that's a two-person job, if you know what I'm saying. So, this is the original Ovation Sink, and if you're watching this on YouTube, th let me show you what, what I'm talking about in regards to this rubber. So you have your porcelain sink. I think it's porcelain. Anyways, you have your sink, and then you see this outline right here that looks a little bit different. Well, this is the rubber that I'm talking about. The lip comes to a point, and, and it's ov ovational. It's a oval. And this rubber you're supposed to actually put on, and it's one entire loop, okay? So it's it's completely connected, like like a yo, uh, like a what do you call it? What do you call those things? Hula hoop, like a hula hoop. It's like one entire thing. And then you gotta bring it around it, and that's the hardest part. Anyways, you, you'd have to try it to see it. This is the original hole for it, and this is the brand new sink and the same faucet. They wanted, they opted for the same faucet, which is fairly new, with uh, a new PO plug. And then down here, I'm just showing you guys what the connection looked like. It is a tailpiece into a chrome trap chrome trap into a copper pipe and a nice soldering job right there i i hope i hope that's a nice soldering job i tested it it was perfect don't you guys worry all right what we got here is a, an old round front toilet and i got a little story for you so i ended up going to the supplier and uh asking for another round front uh american standard delta no no just American Standard uh, Toilet. Our regular one that we normally get. Cadet Pro. Cadet Pro Round Front. And the guy goes, you want Round Front or Elongated? I go, Round Front. And he goes, okay. And he gives me a toilet. And I walk away with it. This is the toilet. Here's the flange. That was the old toilet. This is the flange. Um, I didn't have to do any repairs on the flange. It was still in some pretty good, uh, pretty good shape. But what ends up happening is I install this bowl right here without thinking uh, anything about it. As I install the bowl, and then I install the tank, uh, my dad walks in about an hour later. Hey, how did the toilet go? Perfect, Dad, it's done. I already silicone the bottom, everything's looking sharp. He comes upstairs, he goes, um, this is an elongated front. I go, no, it's not. He goes, yeah, it is. He goes, didn't you ask for a round front? I go, yeah. He goes, it's not a round front, call them. So I called them. Not only did I get the elongated one. I was also charged for an elongated one. So when I had the conversation of round front, the man didn't hear round front. And then like a jackass, and I'm pointing to myself right here, like a jackass, I didn't check if it was an elongated or round front toilet. I just trusted the man. You know what I'm saying? And look, there's nothing wrong with trusting, and there's nothing wrong with double-checking. Just because you double-check doesn't mean you don't trust. You're just making sure that you guys aren't doing that fallible human thing that we do when we make mistakes. So, 
Lo and behold, I had to rip this bad boy out. Um, I don't have any pictures of that. I just opted to show you the elongated toilet. But I had to rip this bad boy out. Keep the tank because the tank will fit on the round front if it's the same model toilet. And I had to go back and I had to get myself a round front. Now, I learned a valuable lesson, which is double check everything, Kenny Molotov. Don't just walk off thinking that people aren't fallible like they are. And it's good that I learned that because as I was walking away with this new round front, I put it in the truck and I looked and it said bone. And I went bone. I was like, the, I don't have a bone colored toilet uh, tank up at the place that I'm doing this installation. So I came back with it. I go, bro, I think you gave me the wrong one. You gave me one that says bone. And he goes, oh, snap. Yeah, I was supposed to give you a white colored one. So thank goodness. And if I had gone back and my dad saw this, bro, he would have blasted me, bro. So I'm glad I learned my lesson real quick and I got to implement that real quick. So let me show you guys what happened this week because it was a lot of fun. Um, we were doing a couple of roughings. So check this out. What you're seeing right here is a wall exposed. And the reason why the wall is exposed in the, the room, in the bedroom, rather than in the washroom is because there's tiles in the washroom and we didn't want to disturb any of the tiles. So we came here and we ripped out this section of the wall in order to do redo everything. Now, originally everything in here was, uh, galvanized pipe galvanized pipe is a black steel pipe coated with zinc on the outside and the inside so that it's okay to drink from and it's okay to bathe from black steel isn't if you just have black water and black steel it's not the most uh, health friendly sort of thing so that's why they they opted for galvanized pipes galvanized pipes were coming in and were being used at a time where copper was being used for our military so i think it was around world war one world war two these were the moments where all of our copper in the country started going towards arms basically um any sort of military operation like weaponry etc so we don't do galvanized anymore uh, they are still around. These piping systems are still around. The only difficulty is that they take a really long time to install. It's much faster work with copper. So instead of working with galvanized, people say, you know what, we'll put in copper. Or even now, working with PEX is like, man, you're talking about really, really fast systems right here. So we were taking out the galvanized risers. Risers, as we talked about it many times, but I'll remind you, if, and if you're new here, maybe you don't know, risers are pipes that go vertically throughout buildings. So if you have uh, washrooms, the way buildings are usually designed is that washrooms are one on top of the other. So if you're standing in a washroom on the first floor, there's uh, almost 100% a washroom above you on the second, and then as many floors as it goes up, that's how many washrooms are up. Now, what you do with risers is you take your hot and cold pipe and you send them through these washrooms vertically so that every single washroom has the same hot pipe going up and the same cold pipe going up. So we were changing the risers out. And the reason why we were changing the risers out is because they were also galvanized. Galvanized pipes have a tendency uh, to clog up over time through, um, I think, through sediment and stuff like that. Eventually, they get 
really clogged and then when people turn on their water they just don't have any water pressure and this unit was dealing with that issue actually so because it was vacant uh, the owner of the building said you know what look now's the time uh, we can rip it open, we can do some drywall after and whatever, and then people coming in are going to be super happy because they have decent water pressure. So we came in and the first thing that we did was we had to run the risers up, which means that you have to shut the water to the building, you have to inform all units, uh, three, two, and one, it's only a three uh, floor building, you have to inform all, the, all those units that you're working in, look, we're going to have to come in, we're going to have to make holes. So First thing you do, you shut the water. Now you got to start cutting this galvanized pipe. You cut it throughout um, each level. You got to take those out. And now you got to start sending the copper pipes up. And you're using a, a thicker copper pipe, like a Type L. Uh, we use Type L, and usually I think that's the minimum grade type copper that you're allowed to use for galvanized, uh, allowed to use for risers in Canada. You want a thicker pipe because there's a lot of volume and a lot of strain that goes in this pipe, a lot of flow, uh, because you got to imagine these pipes are distributing to everybody. So you got to make sure that you're not going to run into an issue of pinhole leaks within the first couple of years of installing them, because that would just be horrible. You're going to have to rip open these these sections again. Anyways, so we ran up the type L pipe throughout and then i was allowed to go ahead and do the rest of the connections here and as you can see down below these are the two galvanized pipes that were distributing hot and cold as well so let's get a bit closer so the first thing that we had to do coming off of the riser is throw in a couple of valves the reason why we threw in a couple of valves is twofold first is as soon as the riser goes up you want to turn on your water as quickly as possible so what we opted to do was uh, we ran the riser up dad started working in the unit above there were people living there so that was the the biggest focus that day you ran the risers and then he had to run all the copper pipes across because they all had galvanized as well so he was working on that unit above and as he was doing that i ran two copper pipes across and two isolation valves you're supposed to have isolation valves for the entire washroom first of all and second of all by running these two across and shutting the water shutting these um putting two valves there you are now shut completely if it's completely soldered correctly now you can go upstairs and help dad focus on the unit above and then i could come in the following day and continue on with his unit below but we can turn on the water which is still good because this unit uh has isolation valves and we won't have to shut the building tomorrow that's that's basically a, the advantage of it that now that you have valves you can just focus on this unit here tomorrow without uh, interfering with anybody's ability to use water. That's the awesome part about isolation valves. So you have these two isolation valves here. And as you come across, you'll notice I pick up a water closet connection. So I tee out and then I 90 down, 90 across, 90 across one more time. And on the other side, I have an R19 with a finishing plate on it so that they could go up against the wall and cover the hole that is in the wall. And as you come across, you have a hot water pipe distributing for the vanity. And if you look a little bit further, you have a cold water pipe distributing for the vanity. And all the way on the left here is a shower control valve and here's the video if um, if you wanted to see even closer so 
Here are the two T's off of the riser comes to the two isolation valves. Down goes this pipe for the water closet. If you take a look over here, you're looking at, this is a really interesting fitting. So this is the venting system. Uh, this is both the drainage and venting system going on. And this vent goes from inch and a half all the way up to two inch and it goes up even higher. Uh, really interesting. There is still lead pipe inside these walls. That's how old this building is. Lead was something that they used to use a lot. It was really beneficial to use lead because uh, lead was really malleable. You can make a lead pipe do a lot of different things. And especially when you're dealing with vents, as long as you didn't trap it, you were good to go. The only problem is, is that we know lead is very bad for the human body. So uh, at some point, this owner is going to opt to change the venting system. Uh, I don't know when, but you know how it is. So then you come up for the vanity right over here. And if you look over here, this is the pipe for the vanity. This is the drainage pipe. It's picking up with a TY right there. Then you have another connection up for the vanity like we were talking about. And then we have two 90s that go up to the shower control valve. And it was a really useful to be able to do it from this end of, of the, the washroom because you would have had to break tiles on the other side and the tiles looked half decent. So you didn't really want to do that and spend more money. So check this out. This is a job I've never done before. This is the first time I've ever done it. This is uh, I. This is like a commercial hydrant that we put in, which is a fancy hose bib. <laughs> Essentially, it's a fancy hose bib, and I'm going to show you what we had to do to do this. The first thing that we had to do was we had to take the owner of the building, and we had to show her... Uh, this hydrant. It, it's a really, really nice unit. So it's actually a box and inside goes this hydrant, which is made of, man, I don't even know what it's made of, to be honest. I, it looked like it was steel or iron or, or it was a very significant metal. It was some fancy, fancy stuff. And it comes in this really fancy box. This box has a key so that nobody can get in if you don't have the key or a pair of pliers, I guess. Um, Really, really, it looked really fancy, and it also was really well made. You, you can tell that they put a lot of time into it, and that's why it was expensive. It was like one or $200 just for this unit, okay? So the first thing that we had to do was we had to bore a hole through both the brick and also the cement behind it, okay? And this is what you're seeing here. So we ran into an issue with this thing. And, and I'm going to tell you preemptively what we ran into. Normally, when you put in hydrants, you also want to put them on a little bit of slope. That way, when you winterize them and you drain them, water will come out of the hydrant. And that way, they won't freeze and then explode in, in the wintertime through the expansion of the freezing. So I think this is a frost-free hydrant. Uh, what we ended up doing was boring a hole on an angle in order to get this slope. So at this point... The next thing that I have to do is I have to outline the box for the hydrant. And this is what I did right here. I put it up against the wall. I outlined it with a Sharpie. And then I took an angle grinder and I grinded uh, the box out essentially. And then I got a hammer drill and it took me forever. It took me a couple of hours and I was able to make this hole right here, which the box went in perfectly. Now here's the thing that I got to let you guys know. The box went in flush. It was really nice. The the This square was big enough for it. But as soon as I put it in and then I put 
the hydrant in. And like I told you before, we drill, we bored the hole on an angle. As soon as I put the hydrant in, the box now came out on an angle. So because of that, I was like, okay, um, I'm going to have to leave this loose a little bit to be able to put the box flush against these brick right here. So I was playing around with it for a while until I came to realize, you know what, this just isn't going to work. This hydrant essentially can't go in if it's not level. It, it basically has to be level, which, uh, you know, is a concern when you're installing it because you're like, well, if this thing freezes in the wintertime, we're in trouble. You know what I mean? If you're not able to drain all that water out. And uh, I don't know. Essentially, that's what we had to do. So my dad had to get the hammer drill and actually take the level off, take the slope off of the hole that we initially made. And once he did that, he was able to get this in correctly. And then you cement around it and cement around the bottom as well, and you're good to go. But it was uh, it was a little bit concerning, and it was a little bit frustrating because initially you think you're supposed to put it in on an angle, and then when you start trying to assemble this entire thing, you're like, man, this is not going to work, and it looks really stupid when it comes out like this. And then you realize, you know, it's just this is not how it's intended to be installed. It's intended to be installed, it appears, flush, because the moment you put it on an angle, everything kind of goes to crap, you know what I'm saying? But this is the finished product. Came out really nice. Really proud of this job. And then this is uh, how we connected it. So as you can see on the wall there, we have the hydrant coming out. Now, the hydrant, the hydrant's internal diameter, this pipe that you're seeing right here is three quarters. I had to get a three quarter by half MIP, uh, solder it to a piece of pipe, and then bring in an isolation valve for the hydrant outside, basically. Then I ran it up, ran it across, and then I ran it to this pipe right here. And I have a quick video of what this looks like. So this is the isolation valve coming into the unit for this line. This line doesn't only supply the hydrant, but it also supply, supplies the water closet comes down across you got a hanger over there i don't know if you guys saw it hits a 90 that's a coupling right there and hits this t for the hydrant here's the hydrant's isolation valve and i threw that mip in there like i was telling you guys and as you come down you come across and you have your water closet connection so it was it was a thorough job a lot of fun and it's fun because it's something i've never done before i've done plenty of hose bips for many many people but this kind of frost-free commercial type hydrant, something I've never done before. And this is the last one for today. Guys, this is a K50 job that I did this week. Um, I wanted to talk to you all about it because it's a really interesting story. So the owner of this other building calls us and says, look, the, the bottom floor is overflowing with water. This is the kitchen sink right here. Right here. Um, so as soon as I got there, he was not wrong. There was water all over the floor and it was coming from the kitchen sink. So he had to go up to the units above and let them all know, look guys, you got to stop using the water because we got a clog downstairs. So I got to this unit and the first thing that I saw was that water was still sitting inside uh this kitchen sink right there and it wasn't a substantial amount of water it was uh i don't know three or four inches maybe so the first thing that you have to do is you have to open out the clean out and drain that water and then you got to start running your snake so i do exactly that 
I I open it up. I drain that water. My bucket was big enough to to carry that water. I dumped that water out in the water closet. I came back and I started snaking through this uh, through this trap right here, the K50. This is what it looks like. So I'm snaking through the trap. And I'm just running as many many uh, coils as I can. Each coil is around, I think, eight feet, seven and a half to eight feet. And I think I ran around five or six coils, which is around 50 feet approximately. Now, the thing is, ideally what you want to do when you're doing a drain call is you want to simultaneously run the water while you're doing the snaking and especially after you hit whatever it is you think was the obstruction, okay? You don't want to run the water a bit too early, okay? So the problem I had here was I didn't have a clean-out that I can access. If you can access it through a clean-out, like a line clean-out, for example, the way line clean-outs are usually uh, assembled is that <coughs> you could access the pipe from the top. So you throw your snake in like so through the top and then as you're snaking you could actually run the same faucet on the same sink that you're currently working on which is beautiful because you as the plumber can control the volume of water going into the drain as you're snaking that the difficulty with other people doing it is if they throw this thing on full blast and you haven't finished uh, hitting whatever the connection whatever the obstruction is and then it starts flooding you got to go upstairs you got to tell them you, that they got to slow down the water etc so the more control you have as the plumber is always better because you you can monitor it basically so i'm running it i run all these cables through and then um and then I basically want to start running the water, though. So I, I speak to the owner of the building. And I say, look, I, I ran, I, I threw in quite a few coils. Let's start running the water from above. That way, as I'm pulling the snake out, we are verifying that the obstruction is, is hit and it's gone or I've pulled it out. And B, it cleans the snake as it's happening and it cleans the drain as it's happening. Correct? All right. So he goes, okay, no problem. And he goes to the unit above, and uh, the superintendent, who's separate from the owner, comes down and says, look, you, you got to come upstairs. Um, we have an issue upstairs. So uh, she had warned me that the gentleman upstairs suffered from some mental health issues and that the living situation there was really unhealthy. And she was preemptively preparing me, essentially, for what I'm about to see so that, you know, I, I come in calm, basically. And and I'm glad she told me because the last thing that you want to do is walk into a space and make somebody feel ashamed of the current situation that they're currently in. I, I don't want to be an individual that does that, so I'm happy that I was given that warning. I walk into this unit, and essentially the individual that lives there uh, has a little bit of a hoarding issue, um, but the, like there was a few things to it. it. Like you could, right off the bat, as soon as you walked in, you saw spiders everywhere, and they were out in the open, which is so rare. Normally, spiders are hiding in corners. These things were all over the counters, uh, and you looked at the carpet, and the carpet was very very dirty and it almost smelled like there was a burning smell inside the unit and it had carpet on the floor and the carpet itself had fumes coming off of it 
Um, it looked like the individual was collecting garbage as well. Um, like garbage bags were all over the unit, etc. So it, it was, you know, it, it was a, a little bit of a shocking situation, but it's not the first time I've, I've gone into units like this where somebody is struggling with something. And um, I walk in. And the owner of the building turns to the kitchen sink and he says, hey, look, uh, there's still water inside this sink. And that's a big red flag as a plumber, because if there's water still in this sink, the question now becomes, oh, my gosh, is there is there a lot of volume in these pipes that's about to come down in the unit below? But then I started going, but I already opened that pipe. We would have, see, we would have seen that volume come down, and it would have already flooded the, the unit below. So I was like, okay, I think what's going on here is I think there are two clogs that we're currently dealing with. We're dealing with the one downstairs, which was clogging the, excuse me, the entire line for all these units in the kitchens. And... This individual in the unit that I'm currently in has a clog inside his sink right there. So I explained that to, to the owner, and he goes, okay, hopefully that's the case. And I turned to the individual that, that was renting the unit. I said, you know, how long has this been clogged for? And he told me, he goes, I don't know, you know, I, I, I don't use this sink. So I was like, okay, so most likely it is clogged in, on its own, and we're dealing with two separate clogs so I think the red flag is something we don't have to worry about currently, I basically said. So let's continue on. But because his sink was clogged, they aren't able to open up the faucet and clean out the drain while I'm snaking. That's, that's the whole reason they called me upstairs. Because A, they see another clog, and B, they're not able to do the thing that I asked them to do. Okay, so we, we sort that out quickly. Then uh, we, we leave the unit, and I say to the owner, I said, you know what, uh, why don't you go up to the unit above that, see if you can access it, and then run the water from there, and that's exactly what they were able to do. So as they went upstairs, they turned on the water, they let it flush the drain, and they let it wash the drain as I was taking out all the coils and we were cleaning out all the coils. So we ended up doing that. Afterwards, uh, the owner comes down. He goes, how's it going? I said, you know what? We haven't had any water back up thus far. So whatever was in there obstructing is, claw is cleaned. Uh, we would have seen water by now if it wasn't hit by now. So he goes, okay, perfect. That's awesome. So I finish uh, taking out all the coils. I, I put back the trap. I put back the clean out on the trap. And he goes, um, uh, so we should go back upstairs and uh, deal with that sink. And I go, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, the owner was telling me, he goes, you know, I, it's not the first time that they've spoken to this individual about this situation. And he had informed that this, he had informed the individual that, look, you, you sort of have to clean, keep the place clean because it's a hygiene issue, not only for himself, but also for the other tenants around him because... Look, if you have a unit that has plenty of spiders inside of it, and God forbid if you have bed bugs and this and that, those those critters are, are eventually going to start moving around to other places. And this, if this place is inducive to having those sorts of things, we're just asking for trouble. You're looking at more roaches. You're looking at more this, more that sort of thing. So he had let the individual know, look, this clean, you got to clean it up. Or you got to find, you, we got to get it clean, essentially. So anyways, he brings me into the unit. 
And and we looked at the the sink, and the sink is still full, which uh, which let me know essentially that my feelings were were probably right. It was clogged in and of itself, and also the drainage inside the the wall was a separate clog that we had already cleaned. So I, I had asked uh, the owner. I said, what, "What would you like me to do? You want me to clean it or or what?" He goes, "Okay." Let's go and at least see what's going on and then we'll decide because he understands that nobody really wants to be in this unit because of its current state. It is a hygiene issue and in theory, I think the way it is is that I I actually think I could decline this work um, because I don't know what sort of things I might have to run into. I don't know if there are bed bugs. I don't know if there are roaches. I don't know if there's any sort of other septic elements to it. I, it. It's one of those places that I could, in theory, decline work. So we go upstairs, we go into the unit, and uh, the owner starts trying to open the door to the, the cabinet underneath the sink. And it's not budging, man. It, it This door hasn't been open for a really long time. <laughs> so we come in there, I grab my pliers, I wedge it open, and it was cobwebs galore in there. Nobody's been inside this thing, I'm telling you, for years. And there was a big bucket under there, already uh, kind of keeping the trap safe, which means that I think at some point there was a leak. At least it looked like somebody had tried to uh, catch water from a leak. So I'm I'm looking underneath there and it's it's cobwebs guys it's it's bad bad like and I'm not great with spiders it's bad it's bad you know I'm like I it's bad but at the same time here's where it gets interesting at the same time if this individual needs water I need to provide that for him because that's his right you know so First thing the owner said was like, uh, maybe we should let water out of the trap. And, uh, you know, I kind of had to, you know, turn that thing off in my mind. Every once in a while, you deal with a drain call like this too, where a lot's happening and you're like, oh man, I don't know if I have the stomach for this. And then you got to turn your mind off and just do it because nobody else is going to do it because it's your job to do it. And this was one of those moments as well where I was like, all right. And I stuck my hand in there. I undid the trap. It was an ABS trap, which is a big no-no inside a building. So we're going to have to rip that thing out. And I let the water out in that very same bucket that was already down there. And then as soon as the water let out and the sink was drained, I tightened it back up. And uh, we all agreed that once the unit was a bit cleaner to access, uh, we would come in and access it. And that's essentially what happened. But I wanted to talk this story through with you because... I find that from time to time as service plumbers, you have to run into situations like this. I remember when I was in high school and my father was getting back into plumbing. He was working for a service plumbing company. And I did this thing where I went to work with him uh, for the summer just to, just to try it out, just to see it. And we walked into this building and dad warned me. He goes, look, just so you know, there's a unit in here that's housing something like 15, 16 cats. I go, really? He goes, yeah. And the moment you walk in, you're going to smell this unit. And uh, lo and behold, we walk in and peeps, I smelled that unit. That unit was, it had a very significant stench. And they were calling, you know, they were calling those companies and and those bodies of the government that essentially uh, deal with hygienic matters and, and housing matters like this. And 
and essentially those the, those people had to come in and and take out all those cats because it's it's not healthy to have that many cats first of all just even for the cats it's not healthy there's barely enough space for them um and then there's situations like this in this gentleman's place and and we've actually accessed this unit before uh his toilet was wobbling to the point where it was off that like we had to fix the flange and the flooring below it so we've been inside this unit but it was much cleaner because there was a warning to him at that point look we're bringing plumbers in they have a right to decline the work if it looks like it you know as it does in this state sort of thing because as plumbers as people we're also worried about roaches we also don't want to bring it home to our house we also worry about bed bugs we also don't want to bring that home we're scared of that you know what i'm saying um as you should be bed bugs are not a, a light thing to take they're very serious it's very difficult to get rid of them and it's very easy to pass them from friend to friend family to family very very easy and before you know it it's a problem right so we accessed this gentleman's unit before it was in comparison to what it was, it was much neater and whatnot. Um, but from time to time, you run into units like this. And, and you know, my stance on it always is this. I actually feel worse for the individual that's going through this because they're struggling with something. Um, and as they struggle with something, you know, it takes precedent and other things don't. And, and then before they know it, they're living years in, in environments like this. And this environment is not helping them physically you know what i'm saying it's it's actually putting them in harm's way it's not really good to be around roaches and to be around things that are corrosive and and you know garbage depending on what's inside that garbage it could be harmful who knows and whatnot so that's the stance i've always taken with it that i i actually feel worse for the individual than i do for myself and uh, at the end of the day i feel like they still have a right to access to water, to access to indoor plumbing, etc., which pushes me to do the work for them. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I also bring it up as well because you're also dealing with the service person's rights as well. Their rights are, look, I, I have the right to go into an environment that's safe. I have a right to go into an environment that's not um, unhygienic for me. So it's it's like this tug of war between two individuals rights you know what i'm saying and as workers we have the right to decline work if we think we're not in a safe environment and you know what this hygiene element to it was one of those environments that i typically i i basically did have the right to say look until this is cleaned and until the roaches are gone and until the spiders are gone i'm not going to walk in because that's my right as well so like I said, I'm, I'm bringing this up because I'm sure other individuals out there have dealt with this. I think all service workers deal with this because we, we deal with people with from all walks of life. You know what I'm saying? So I just want to reach out to you guys to let you guys know what this story was and what, what I did to circumvent it or and, and how it ended up playing out. But let me know down in the comments below if this is something you've dealt with. Um, how, how did you actually deal with it and what sort of situation was it i have a friend who's in the service industry who at some point when he sees units like this he'll just basically turn to the superintendent and say look this is a health matter i'm not accessing the unit once this is cleaned up you call me i have no problem coming in and doing the work how do you guys handle it have you done it that way or have you 
you know, kind of said, okay, let me just try to go and finish this quickly sort of thing. It's really interesting to find out how we all do things differently. Peeps, that was the podcast. It's been a really long time since I've talked to you. It's a great blessing to have you here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for chiming in and tuning in. I guess that's the right word, tuning in. Uh, My name is Kenny Molotov. I'm a plumbing YouTuber, professional magician. I also do a little bit of music. Everything down in the description below. I love you guys, and I'll see you very soon. You vlog out tomorrow, by the way. Kenny Molotov, guys. Peace, baby.